0: Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who, through their own unique angle, succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey, everyone, welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. Got an awesome guest on today who's a Berlin based designer who studied visual communication. Um, under Fred Smidgers and for typeface design, a master's degree at the Academy of Visual Arts. Please join me in welcoming Roman Wilhelm. Welcome, Roman.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You ready for 20 questions?
1: Oh, yes, I am.
0: Okay, here we go. Question one. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do?
1: I'm a designer in visual communication and uh, have been working since... 2004 and 2005 um, in Berlin, and uh, I've been specializing in multilingual typography. Um, For the first uh, two decades of my work, I specialized in the relationship between um, Latin and Chinese typography.
0: Great, and just a quick note for the audience uh, Roman and I have just met now um, but we're kind of running with this typography thread on the show you know with Eric speakerman on the show um, it's been really great to uh, see how typography develops so this is a great extension of that um question two what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different
1: it's probably probably not knowledge but a quest a quest I am I am I'm on uh I've I've run into when I started to cope with typography. It's the question as to what multilingual typography may, um, what, what um, (laughs) my English is too bad. Um, Can I, can I repeat that again?
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thank you. You may need to do more editing with my, with my interview probably than with the native speakers. Okay, I repeat. Uh, it's probably more a question than a piece of knowledge. Um, it's the question as to whether multilingual typography, um, what 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 kind of role can it play in society? And I've always tried to learn more on that, uh, which had turned out to become the piece of knowledge I can I can offer to, you know, my clients or my students um you know to never give up uh asking that question again and again can multilingual media be more than monolingual media so to say
0: great yeah i mean that's a super exciting topic for me i was just in paris um speaking about typography at the Sorbonne, and i don't speak any french so it was uh it was kind of bizarre being there um, but uh, great uh, to uh, tug on that thread as well. Um, okay, so number three, why this of all things? Why do you do what you do?
1: You've just mentioned Paris. I was there too. Uh, okay. It was an awesome time. And uh, uh, especially after the years of the pandemic, uh, it was great to meet up again. And in my case, I was lucky uh, that a type took place in Paris. Uh, it was not so far away. And, um, uh, the question why I'm doing this has to do with France as well, because I was born, uh, in the place in Germany, which is very close to the French border, like 20 kilometers and you're in France. And, uh, I, I've noticed like from my childhood on, okay, there's this other country, there's this border and you cross that border and there's this other country with that other language. Uh, it's a beautiful language. And, um, they got other customs in in, in all ways. So, uh, for instance, I became aware of the different signages they had. Like in Germany, everything was like, you know, the, the traffic signage was uh, using the DIN typeface. And uh, in France, everything was different. And uh, I became aware of the small differences between... You know, countries and their languages and their visual customs, if you will. So, uh, I didn't start from wanting to learn Chinese or you know, you know, about faraway things, basically. But it started very, uh, very close to my home and uh, at that French border. And I have to say that in my in my hometown uh, used to be a French garrison till nineteen ninety, so we had uh, about thirty thousand inhabitants or thirty five thousand and five thousand French troops with their families and kids and whatever. So they had a big influence on the city. And uh, until the point, I sometimes I tell myself that it's n- not so much my home anymore because the French have gone. I miss them to be honest.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, I actually wasn't at the Sorbonne for A-Type-I, although I saw that that uh, it was happening there. I was there for a humanities conference, but um, super, super interesting overlap there. Um, I was at A-Type-I as a, as a design student in my teens, you know, 20 years ago, so. Okay. Um, okay, so number four, what does your future look like?
1: Well, uh, I've, I'm now in a position that um, I can, I can start to do what I want in uh, to some degree. I work at the university, you know, Berlin university of the arts where I'm teaching topography. And uh, in my other life as a graphic designer at the German Institute of economic research, which is another another world, but they linked closely together. And um, apart from family and kids, um, I can settle in to, to do some more research and try to publish my findings, uh, which is like kind of, you know, uh, my next step. Um, because, you know, I've always been talking at at events such as 8 pi about my research. And now I think the time has come to try to publish this stuff. So my future, um, my near future is going to be um filled up with that and uh afterwards i don't really know.
0: Awesome. Um number five is uh, a difficult one for some people and uh in many ways it's uh it's the unique question in, in our set here but the question is let's talk about location how does the notion of place play into what you do
1: a lot I think the idea of the the idea of, of places has been crucial to my understanding of, uh you know, design, visual culture. uh In my case, focusing on that typogra- typographic dimension of visual cultures, I've been, I've w- wherever I go, I feel at home to some degree. So even as a tourist, you know, spending ten days, at, you know, at the Baltic seaside in Poland, which I've done recently, I felt a bit at home, but you know, 10 days is a very short period. So if I stay longer, let's say three months, half a year, one year, or even more, um, uh, the place is not strange anymore. So I, I've, I've, I've found out that my home, uh, the place, um, I, I am, I frequently am the place where, where I work for instance, or where my kids are, um, It's a variable, a variable concept. Uh, I've spoken to some people about that and not everybody thinks in the same way. So I feel kind of open uh, toward any place I go. And, you know, now with family and kids, I cannot spend so long in other places, but I've done that before. So for instance, when I was in Hong Kong in 2015, for two months as an artist in residence at the uh, Baptist University uh, Academy of Visual Arts, I I found myself there just alone in that studio they gave to me for the time, and uh, no other job than just doing this artist in residence project. I found I found myself digging in that visual culture in Hong Kong, especially after the. Uh, uh, after the democracy protests in 2014 which i had to somehow cover which i had to somehow mention because um i couldn't just be in hong kong without you know without mentioning that i didn't know how so i um i ended up doing research on the local the local aspect of typography in hong kong's visual culture and um ended up doing that typeface i call the hong kong street face which is uh you know inspired by the by the uh what they call road road markings the 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 type on the asphalt for the cars you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and uh i was i was inspired by that because it symbolized to me something very local uh Something that's on the streets, something something that the protest- protesters had had walked upon or camped upon, and uh, uh, you know, and, and a visual element you rarely find somewhere else or, or or almost never. So, for instance, like you know, the the typeface of Taipei is very similar to that of Hong Kong, but it's still it's still got these small differences. And um, I felt by that time. I'm 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 not I'm not very aware of the I'm 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 looking for the local aspects wherever I am in typography I want to I want to find out what makes a place tick in a way that could be retro so I always ask myself am I retro um or is it something you know that young people in in that city also uh, think is important for their visual culture or not.
0: Nice. I like that. Um, at this point, I can't not mention my good friend and previous guest, Keith Tam, who's based in Hong Kong and, uh, and does great typography work there. You you perhaps know that name. Um,
1: Oh yes, I do. He's one of my oldest friends, uh, in, in, in China in general. Uh, we met, um, I, I, I wrote him an email in 2003 uh, when I was like e- trying to enter this universe of Chinese typography and had so many questions about fonts, like which, what font to use and whatever. And so I had the idea to ask that guy uh, in Vancouver, Keith Tam. And um, since then, we've been exchanging emails and we met in Hong Kong in 2006 for the first time. So that's when we started even to work together a little bit. We made uh, we organised conferences and uh, uh, did those type walks together in Hong Kong, which I like very much. So it's very fun to to be around with Keith in Hong Kong. He knows so much about every detail. Just a just a side note.
0: Yeah, Keith's fantastic. I uh, I kept running into him. I was I was in Reading and and met him at an English pub. Um, he actually taught me fourth year typography twenty years ago at Emily Carr. And uh, I also saw him at PolyU in in Hong Kong years ago. Um, very good friend. Um, okay, so number six. If you had to start from scratch, what advice would you give your former younger self?
1: <laughs> to 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 start from scratch, if you feel if you feel like it, or if if there is a need to, um, I I have these like I. I I have these moments uh, when I thought, okay, my road is ending in a way <laughs> like I, I for instance, I had I, I lost a, a job because um, I had that wonderful part-time job uh, in Berlin um, with that focus on Chinese German you know communications and I was doing all that. Chinese, German or English typography for, you know, representing the city of Berlin, Berlin tourism board and, and, and things like that. And it was wonderful. But then my, my Chinese, my boss was actually a Chinese, uh, became more and more sick. She had, um, problems with the eyes and, uh, it became apparent that she could not carry this on. And I had to cancel, you know, I had to quit this job. So, um, I applied for a new job and ran into something totally different. It was that, you know, where I still am at the German Institute of Economic Research, which was totally unmultilingual, and, you know, there was no relationship to to China or, you know, even let alone other countries and um, their research focuses on Germany. So I felt a little alone and asked myself all the time, is it over? Um, Did I, did I make a big mistake? And, uh, so uh it took me a while to realize I had to restart this from scratch and find a new way to express myself and in, in in a way to continue what I was doing before. So it was um a difficult time. And uh it took actually a while till I got the chance to to get that job here at Berlin University of the Arts. And I could go there, I could go, you know, have a meeting with my boss and tell her you know, I have this opportunity. Can I reduce my hours? And, and it's like that, how it works. So they normally, they would have said no, but in that case, they said yes. So I, I squeezed out some time to do what I, to do what I actually wanted. And uh, I think I can encourage everybody by, you know, not, you know, being patient. If, if things go wrong in in a way, there's always a big chance um to for, for you to, you know, to um, to reshape um, to to reshape um your vision of what you're doing. and uh, it's uh, sometimes painful, but it's very important. And another note, um I'm such a clumsy person, and i'm I'm so bad in uh, organizing myself. so, when my laptop got stolen once, I didn't. I had backup for all my files, uh, for all my client work. Everything was there, and there was not a big problem apart from the laptop being gone. Uh, until I noticed that the font family I've been working at for years, it didn't have a backup, and I had to restart, for, you know, from scratch or literally from the lowercase i, and uh, which is what I did. So in the end. The font looked better because I had I was forced to redo everything, and uh, so it's the only thing I can tell you. Um, there's always a chance in when you lose something to to, to you know do it again, and uh, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. so but um, do take that chance.
0: You know, you and I—we have to—we uh, have to approach Keith. He's got a podcast of his own now called uh, "Visible Signs, Invisible Designs," um, and uh, yeah, I was on that show. He—he uh, he does a great job of uh, of guiding you through uh, his way of thinking and his way of uh, speaking. So that's a good one. That would be a good one for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, number seven. What's a day in your life like? Did I ask you that?
1: No. Very different. Uh, so I get up early normally when, when, you know, my kid is, you know, now my kid is on a holiday, summer holidays, so everything's different. And, uh, normally I bring my, you know, I get, have to get my kid out of bed and, uh, you know, bring him to school, uh, which is normally, uh, we're starting at eight and, uh, So I'm free afterwards to, you know, to to do my job and um, either go to the, um, you know, ride a bicycle to the um, Institute of, uh, you know, German Institute Institute of Economic Research uh, on Mondays or Tuesdays. And um, where I work in the office um, after such a long time of home office uh, during the pandemic, I have. I've always enjoyed working at home basically um until the pandemic came and I was forced to so right now I find myself being happy in that office with my colleagues uh you know um which has advantages too so I'm I'm actually fine with everything now the the focus lies on uh being present uh with me and um we have meetings uh you know like like in 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 many other jobs. And I am either caring, you know, I'm either producing infographics for our key publication, which is called the DEV Wochenbericht or the Weekly Report, which has been around since 1929 and run through all the printing techniques, which is interesting from letterpress to phototype, uh, you know, till the digital age where we're producing a magazine in you know print and web format so um i'm in you know i'm producing this this magazine in a way with my colleagues together and uh making these infographics and uh so this is you know the one, one side of my daily job and uh, if it's a wednesday thursday or friday normally i go to the to, to berlin university of the arts and in and uh, you know either be in my office teach my students or take care of our letterpress studio which we have here uh, a lot a lot of things to do all, all the time So right now for instance i have to organize a takeover um so we're purchasing uh some uh some uh, leipzig antiqua um, lead type from the potsdam university of applied sciences so we're trying to exchange a bit, uh, among letterpress studios around, uh, who needs what and, uh, try to try in in my case, I'm trying to, um, to improve the situation in our little workshop. We got some donations from Speakerman, um, for instance, and, uh, But we need more type, so um, we're now negotiating with that, you know, University of Applied Sciences in Potsdam as to whether we can get that originally packaged Leipzig Mm Antiqua, never used. So it would become our first serif font family we'd have at hand in several sizes, you know, and uh, not just twenty-four point Helvetica and. 36-point Helvetica bold. So that's the situation we're in now. We don't have a family at hand. And yeah, that's the next the next thing to do. On the other hand, we're publishing a book on um, the local aspects of typography, as you mentioned. Um, I think it will be called Here. And uh, it contains interviews with um, people involved in you know, uh, typographic heritage around the world, Kuala Lumpur um shanghai malta and um and other places we had an african designer with us uh, who's actually based in germany who invented his own script you know who invented a script for for the language of his home village and um told us about how you know the, the development of that very very local script that only actually only he knows right now and he wants to go back to his village to teach the kids, you know, this uh, script so they, you know, less less to forget the language. So that's kind of what what I'm into right now and my days are always dependent of, uh, you know, teaching uh, which classes are when and uh, found out that you know it's a bit difficult if you have two jobs um to satisfy everybody all the time. So I've run into, um, you know, I had a meeting with my boss in the other job, you know, who's, who's, and and she's, she did start asking me, Hey, where have you been? (laughs) Come on. um, Are you, are you still doing a job? You know? And uh, so uh, sometimes uh, having two jobs is difficult.
0: That's funny if you grow up in Vancouver here in Canada and um, and get educated in typography in the kind of minutiae of typography in, in Vancouver, you'll you'll come across the name Robert Bringhurst. Last I heard he was on an island near Vancouver called Quadra Island, um, changing um, oral oral languages into into visual variants. So um, yeah, I, I can kind of relate to some of your stories in that way. Um, number eight lifelong learning is a popular topic how do you stay up to date
1: asking 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 mm. <laughs> I I found out like there's a there's a I, I'd like to answer that by another project I am uh I I'm into I've been into for years um I um in, in my other job uh, that you know that's the value of my other job it has it has on my life it has to my life um uh i'm surrounded by scientists you know economists and uh, i've noticed you know these are people who who try to you know obviously ask questions all the time uh their research questions and um try to answer them and try to discuss these answers and share them. So they could be uh, proven or falsified. And, uh, you know, they voluntarily enter that discussion, which is what I appreciate very much. So in in case you have a finding and you, you publish that finding and you ask the others what they think about it. And uh, so everything is, you know, uh, part of a debate and this debate is accessible for everybody. Or almost everybody. So, uh, I, I, I've I've always appreciated that, and wanted to, you know, wanted wanted it to be part of my life. So, this lifelong learning has a literal value for me because I I wasn't able at some point to enter that, you know, PhD universe. I I was working. I tried to. I had a I had a um, a place uh, actually in Braunschweig, Germany, where I was able to to enter a PhD or doctoral program, but that somehow didn't materialize because uh, the the organizational structure of that university was changing exactly at that time. So I had uh, strong difficulties in continuing this path. Uh, Another one who did was actually Dan Reynolds, if you know him. He uh, managed to finish his PhD over there. Anyway, I didn't, so I had to ask myself, how do I get this uh, lifelong learning into my life and uh you know, stay up to date, as you say? so I I I can say that this uh, this job at that economic institute is kind of my university uh, because I'm talking and exchanging with scientists every day when we have to find ways solutions for the for for the infographics i have to make so it's not like a top down process uh you do that and make it nice it's not that so we're discussing a lot of content how to make the graphics tick how to make them how to make the the key uh, uh content stick out and uh how to communicate well what they want to say so it's it's a very context and content-based work, apart from the actual questions of design on top of that. So my experience is that, you know, these people are normally not top-down. They don't tell me what I have to do. They're not arrogant. They're they're, they're face-to-face on, you know, eye, eye-to-eye level, if I may say so. And we're discussing, you know, aspects of of these graphics and i found out you know a lot of people among them can deal very well with images they know a lot partly a lot about visual communication and you know the psychology of of graphics and you know symbol symbolism and uh you know What what certain symbols could mean, and what do they mean in their community, in their community, etc. So, I've made very good experiences in working together with scientists. So, and on an eye to eye level, and I appreciate and respect that so much. I it became part of my, you know, part of my uh, lifelong learning. So I was, um, as I mentioned before, I had a project I wanted to to do um which is a a cuneiform font um as you know a very strange thing to to uh you know in in modern day life cuneiform a dead script uh i was always i always had a crush on that since my childhood and i wanted to find a way to you know to to make it part of my life at least a little bit so the obvious choice was making a font and um driven by that spirit um of asking questions all the time i started to get into exchange with the uh, scientific community dealing with uh this ancient script the uh the various um seminars of ancient oriental studies and universities through germany or europe and i was um, blunt enough to ask them um I'm doing this. I'm, I'm trying to get into this, uh, but I want to make it usable. What what is there? What, what advice could you give me? Um, what is exactly what you need for your community? Uh, is there anything I could do for you? And you know, driven by the spirit of you know contributing and doing kind of service uh, for, for the community in order to understand what they need. And and some of them did answer, and I'm still in exchange with them. And uh, the project has de- evolved in a way I would have never imagined before. So um, for instance, we're working on an input method for cuneiform, uh, web-based. So it's something we need to tackle and uh, uh, the font is developing in a way I would have never pre- I would have never imagined before because they tell me exactly what they what they would like to have and it's much it's a long list of things i i would have never expected that so um, it's good to ask and uh, see your project or your your ideas changing with that and um this year it, it had a, a very special moment uh just like last month um when i um like first i had the idea to uh, to propose um uh, I I asked the professor in Göttingen University, um, who, uh, whether, whether she could squeeze out and, you know, squeeze out some time, maybe an hour, I could come over and ask her directly, um, you know, talk to her and, you know, exchange a bit on the, on, on the requirements she would, you know, she would like to see with that project. Um, and, uh, what 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 could I improve and you know speak about the timeline whatever so I just proposed I could come over for an hour and uh, we could exchange and maybe some of your colleagues could be around if, if they have time I'm very humble you know and um, uh, so that's what I proposed and it the answer was okay uh, why not you know you you could you could come around um, during our you know our summer celebration how do you, how do you call that summer? Um, you know, little gathering they, they were planning for July and, uh, you know, hold a talk about your project, uh, for us. I was very flattered by that. It was the first time literally in my life to be outside the design bubble. I, I whenever I have had talks or workshops or whatever, I was well inside my comfort zone. And this time, uh, I just actually noticed, uh, it was my first time outside that and I, I was very humble. And uh, but uh it turned out they they appreciated what I said. So it we had a wonderful day uh with specialists in ancient oriental studies. They could read QA form fluently, and you know, it was like a dream come true, actually. So it it all happened because I was Continuously asking questions, mm. which is part of my lifelong learning. If you don't ask, nobody's going to try to answer.
0: That's fantastic. I, I had a response, but I've forgotten it. That was uh, such a great answer. <laughs> um, okay, uh, number nine, almost halfway here. What tools do you use? Are you a digital nomad?
1: And a yes, kind of no. Um, I, I'd say I'm a nomad. Uh, although now I'm stuck home with the family, which is a different—you uh, know—it's—it's it's just uh, the way things are, and that's great. Um, because you know, if 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 you have kids, you know, they have. What bugs me most is school holidays. Uh, you you're locked to these school holidays uh, for your own holidays. I'd like to I'd like to go for a trip in September. Uh, it's not possible anymore right now. Anyway, but that's not not a big deal i've been working on trains airports cafes apartments studios studios of friends um although i had my own little studio in berlin all the time it was a shared place you know co-working thing and so i had had a safe place to go then uh my wife has a studio. I I can also go there sometimes. And only right now I have offices. It's the first time in my life I do have an office, which is where I'm sitting right now at the university or uh, in, in my other job. It's at the institute, of course. It's a real office. So it's, it was kind of new to me to have my own office. And uh, I had to adapt to that much more than the actual idea to work wherever I could. So of course I carried. I, I I always work on. I'm a laptop guy. I somehow it it, it happened, and I, I, I got myself a laptop. And um, while while others also use tablets and and much smaller things to do their their job, um, and and then set up their screens in their studios, their big screens or whatever. So they connect the laptop to the screens. Uh, I don't even have a screen. I just have my laptop uh, because uh, I was so used to to do my jobs wherever I was. I was traveling much uh, between Germany and Switzerland and um, being part of a multilingual typography research group back then between like 2007 and 2013. So it was a time I was sitting – I was spending – i was spending much time on trains basically and uh uh and then i was in china pretty like pretty much for let's say at least once a year twice a year sometimes three times a year and uh, i had to be mobile and uh but yet my uh my artistic let's say my my, my design and typography um is uh, is also much linked to calligraphy and um, at illustration. I was a a hand drawing nerd, uh, which anyway I guess I still am. But uh, due to my new job, uh, I was kind of forced to 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 work with vectors because otherwise the files would be too large. Anyway, I I love I love to use the digital context and in a, in a very simple way. But uh if, you know, I, I had a time before that I had to draw I, I wanted much to the uh, to the surprise of my clients. I wanted to hand draw bar charts per hand, you know it, as an illustration. Mm-hmm. And when they changed the the data, uh, like let's say they had I had new figures coming in for that bar chart, I had to change the drawing. So I was so, uh, I I had such a fetish on hand drawing um, that I, I found out ways to 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 um, to, in, to integrate that hand drawing into my digital work and uh, but sometimes I ran into difficulties of course when I was not around in my studio and I couldn't change the drawing, whatever. So I'm more and more like with that. but and and and, and yet there's the dimension of calligraphy and letterpress in in my work. So now here in Berlin, I'm so glad to have this letterpress studio I can use with my students and we can work together in that place. So it's like, um, you know, take some people, take them to that place. It's in the basement. And, uh, you know, typographic spirit is switched on automatically if you want. So that's the power of a place. And uh, I noticed uh, in my migrant work years, if I may say so, um, I was missing that place a bit. So the place was inside me. And, uh, so now I'm happy to have both sides of the coin. Uh, but, um, still, um, the laptop is kind of has become the center of my work life because, um, I do everything I can with it. Let's say write texts and, uh, if I don't take it, I take a notebook and uh write, write the text in, in, in the notebook and then have to you know type it. Anyway, um I make music apart from that if I have time. So it's also on the laptop. And uh of course my jobs are on the laptop. So it's kind of um the the, the migrant aspect has remained um you know. I, I'm here at the studio and have have a job to finish for the for the other side. Uh, I I do it here and uh, I have a musical idea. I have some time. Okay, let's switch it on and and work on that. So it has. Um, I'm still mobile in 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 terms of work, even if I don't switch places uh, far away.
0: That's great. Um, Do you know the name Ray Larrabee? We had Ray Larrabee on the show. Oh, yeah. I know him from his free fonts that he designed decades ago, Um, but he's based in Japan now doing typography work there. Um, Fantastic typography guest. Um, Okay, halfway, number 10. How do you deal with work-life balance?
1: (laughs) The balance. The balance is automatic uh, with with my kid, so I, I have to bring him to school. I have to I have to bring him home from school. So after school, normally we go to a playground or have you know meeting. You know he's meeting friends wherever. So sometimes I go go there with him, you know, or take him there and 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 then wait for, for the time to pick him up again or, like, spend time on playgrounds uh, through Berlin. I think uh, I've noticed that Berlin has the best playgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, big ones. And, uh, you know, y- you can hang out. Um, and, you know, I spend time talking to these other parents, uh, people I wouldn't talk to normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's an interesting new dimension for me. And, it, yeah, you know, then have to cook food, have to have to have to be a father in a way so it's it's right now this is my balance uh because there's no other way so i i cherish that you know not 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 just for the time i spend with my kid because that time is never long um he's seven years now so let's 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 you know let's call it another five years and he he would not want me to be around on a playground anymore so it's a short period of luck and uh, I beside that I also take it as a as a, as a strong invitation for that work-life balance so um, although it uh, decreases my mobility of course um, I'm very happy to to have that opportunity to be so to say to be forced to relax in a way and I've I've used these opportunities to think about my stuff, and uh, so this is right now. And before that, before I had a kid, um, there were times I was uh, tired with work, mm-hmm. and and still are when everything's too much. Let's say, especially I, I have the feeling it's especially in July and December. July is before the holidays, and December before you know Christmas, and so much has to be terminated, and um, you know so many projects have to be finalised, and uh, clients want their stuff before Christmas or before you know they go on holidays. So I've just spent again the the most stressful time of the year, and I'm I really want to change that for me, you know, in order not to break down uh, twice a year which doesn't it, it doesn't feel right so um i want to improve this anyway like we have that yearly exhibition we call rundgang at university uh, in july and school holidays starting in july at the same time and even before that and my my colleagues in the other job go on holiday so it's like like a like a huge deadline um and it's locked to 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 these months like july and december and i've started to hate july and december just for that and i think it doesn't feel right uh so um it's normally the time of the year i start to think about canceling one of the jobs and uh it's not you know it's not it's not the right solution so uh my next challenge is to to find a workaround and uh, you know uh, you know, not not let the others uh, mess up with your months and and your your be- the beautiful time you have. So, I think uh, that's a, a challenge we all face. Anyway, um, before that time, I was um, mainly uh, balancing myself with uh, with music I make, which is obviously kind of a hobby. Although I, I would never call it a hobby. It's like part of my life and part of my artistic expression, if you will. I had uh, performances I, right now before in the time before the pandemic, i I didn't have performances and uh, didn't have ever since. So I want to change that as well. Have some small performances again in Berlin, in some pubs or whatever. I was doing music for uh, making music for for art openings and uh, uh my wife's an artist and uh sometimes they invited me to you know make, perform at their openings and uh it was a kind of um thing i grew into this um art art opening music if you want and uh i want to um, get back to that and uh, yeah it that the music gives me um a strong balance, a a strong sense of balance. If I don't have it, I don't feel balanced. Although I rarely earned a cent with my music. I did, but not so much. So I couldn't make a living with it.
0: Okay, great. Um, Okay, so number 11, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be
1: doing? Probably music. (laughs) It's like uh, a thing I've I've never run into uh, in terms of studying music or studying an instrument because um uh my my main instruments are guitar and accordion so the accordion is a folk instrument it's not classic so you you you've, you you it, it didn't feel right to study that so, although actually now in finland you can you can study accordion as a as an almost classical instrument but you know it didn't feel um uh, like my my path, and so I I never thought about doing this, but uh, I had moments where I thought, okay, this could this could become a career uh, of some sort, but uh, it I felt very attached to the visual side of, of of things, so it felt right to to be more a visual designer rather than a musician or a songwriter, and so. I'm carrying around these two, these two sides of myself and, um, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to, 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 uh, cast them into jobs. So, um, but that would be probably a a thing I would, I would have a a path I could have taken. Uh, Um, uh, probably more interesting for you is the dimension it had, um, in, in with the visual world because we were me and my friends we were uh, getting more and more into um soundtracks and uh you know soundscapes and music for movies uh so these movies were done by other friends so never very important stuff but uh we had some we had we had a how do you call that um, um a movie with real you know, we had some animated movies, so and in contrast, also some uh, some moving movies, including um, you know uh, actors. How do you call that? In Germany, we call it Spielfilm, so like Not sure. the real real, real film. <laughs> I don't know. And um, we made our experiences with that. And uh, for instance, with that with one of those movies, we we played the soundtrack or the music live uh to the movie like um like like little orchestra for 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 muted you know for mute movies back in the 20s so we took guitar bass and drums and we played the the music live and it was recorded live and became the soundtrack or the music for the movie so we were dealing a lot with instrumental music because it was always in the context of movies and i think that was that is an interesting aspect uh i have always wanted to go back to but it depends on the people you know right now and you know people that trust you you can do that and uh in my case it <laughs> they are not there right now so let's wait a while and see what will happen but i've always i've always felt very happy with the the universe emerging from music and visual uh visual art or design coming together it's always fascinated me and uh, as you've as you've heard, even in my topograph typographic thinking, the language is of crucial importance and the language is a thing you hear as well. It's an audio. It's uh, it's somehow, of, of course, related to music as well. So that's how I tick. I cannot divide between the two, although in my jobs, of course I do.
0: Well, it's so interesting, right? Because if you think of it as a balance, then balancing the art of the visual with balancing the art of music. So you're kind of balancing arts all the time.
1: Yes, but you need to be. You need to make sure it's a mistake I've often made, and I've found myself becoming aware of that in recent years. You should not <clears throat> uh, like uh, overwhelm people with all your ideas. And hey, come on! I, I I'm also a musician. Let's 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 do something about Let, let's do a musical project, or um, you know speaking of musicians hey i have that visual idea Uh, i'm a designer let's work on that so i've i've made the experience like okay i better do it and stay calm apart from you know telling everybody what i could do it can be annoying so um i've become very patient and very timid uh in not in a negative way hopefully but um you know, don't bug the people with all your ideas too much. you know sometimes you need to do them, and you need to show them, hey, this is what I've done. So <clears throat> sometimes I'm uh, this is why why my 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 things take take longer sometimes because I want to wait um for the right moment, you know to to show this stuff to the others and uh, have some conclusive. Um, you know something conclusive to show and to share which is much better
0: well it's super interesting right we had john meta on the show and you know he does stuff with code and he does stuff with with writing and he does stuff um you know with with speaking and and all of these kind of um non-tangible things and you, you it's super interesting what you're saying that the kind of the making has to have this kind of physicality to it Um, Okay, so number 12, what would you not like to do with your career?
1: Advertising for products I don't appreciate, Mm. which is, of course, a difficult one, Mm. because I've had this dilemma. I was mainly doing advertising for culture, Mm. which is uh, an advertising I... You know, a kind of advertising I I was appreciating because if you advertise for culture, um, you know, it's a different story than for product. So I I but as a topographer mainly in the bilingual um in the bilingual world, doing you know, we we were translating um uh, marketing material for, for the city of Berlin, for instance, into Chinese. So my, my boss was a native Chinese did the translations for, you know, for all the marketing material, let's say the brochures. And they did that Chinese webpage for the city of Berlin. It was like, you know, uh, right now, uh, everything has changed, but back in 2003 or 2004, The idea of having a Chinese homepage for Berlin uh, was totally new, and uh, it it had it had its own domain. So she was basically caring for the for the contents of this uh, official, you know, web page of Berlin. I think it's inconceivable now, but uh, back then uh, it was adventurous, if I may say so, and we 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 were comfortable, you know, with working between the cultures, but more and more, the dilemma with the Chinese government came, Mm. came, you know, joined the game and uh, from 2005 to 2007, I felt very comfortable. But starting from 2007, in the year before Beijing Olympics,
0: Mm.
1: I started to feel slight discomfort. <clears throat> and we were even approached by the government mm. uh, i had a talk on multilingual typography in beijing mm. and someone was around from the <clears throat> propaganda ministry and she approached us and you know asked i said hey, we, we you know come look, look at the, the these um these brochures we made um they don't look fine could you improve the multilingual typography of these things. And my boss just told her, I'm sorry, we don't have time. Mm. But in the end, like afterwards, she told me like, look, look, what's that? You know, look at the text, look at the content of this brochure. I I totally disagree with everything. And so why should I spend a second to improve the design of this thing? Mm. So we, I was, I know, I was actually lucky to have a boss like that. She was a critical thinker, if you want. And um it's you know, as a designer, you're part of this. And I found myself adding Taiwan to the map of China too many times, you know, because it was just requested by the clients who told me, Roman sorry, but you know, you just have to do it. Come on, please do it so because otherwise, you know, we, we, we wouldn't get a clearance. We couldn't, we wouldn't be able to print this thing. So it's a beautiful project. So it's to the cost of this, you know, if you put that island onto the map, we can print this beautiful book. So uh, it was always to the price of, of that. And I felt it, it was probably, um, there was a, there was a day when I thought it's 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 a time to it's a journey too far. I started to disagree and uh, kind of started to back off from these projects. I never refused to add Taiwan on the map, but I just stopped to to do this kind of job. And uh, so it is something I would have not liked to do for instance, being forced to to communicate something that you don't agree with in, in a way. So uh, especially the map of China was always a matter of debate. Let's say I have that map of China and it was beautifully done. And then the client approached me and said, we, we need to make it smaller because the islands in the South China Sea are not on the map and <clears throat> when i asked back why do you need the islands in the south china sea which are not important in in the context which are not crucial for 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 the content you would like to transmit so why should i make the map smaller and ugly because th- these islands have to be on it they always you know shook their heads and said we have to if we don't do somebody may notice Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this kind of dimension that I didn't like <clears throat> with my work and when I say now I stopped to add Taiwan to the to the map of China mm-hmm. it's actually not true I'm just not doing this kind of job anymore which I feel sad for but the, the positive side is I don't have to do it again mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I feel I, I have a strong sense of that dilemma so it, it can be, it can be problems with, you know, a product you have, uh, let's say you're, you're involved in advertising for a company that will spy you out or, or track your data or whatever. And you, you feel a discomfort with that. And, and there's a the question always like, do, can I quit this? Or like, can I still, you know, live with it? And, um, I have, I rarely have that in terms of product because I was never into product advertising. But <clears throat> in political, you know, the, the propaganda also being kind of an advertising, um, you can face the same dilemma. But uh, to add a side note, I I have a friend in Berlin, Andrea Tinnis. She's also a typeface designer and a pretty successful one, mm. and she she's a she's a left-wing person and uh you know you 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 can you can talk to her about socialism and, and she found out like a couple of years later uh it must have been around 2010 mm. uh that during the <clears throat> governmental elections in germany the um the christian democratic party <clears throat> conservative party of germany mm. uh, had chosen her font for their election campaign. And she was so unhappy with it, she would have loved to, you know, if the Socialist Party would have would have done the same, she would she would have been happy or the Green Party or whatever, but not the conservatives. So she, she, there was nothing she could do. They, they purchased a license of her font and I said, come on, be happy. they paid at least. But uh, she, she was very discomfort. Uh, she, she was very uncomfortable with that you know, uh, a political opponent, you know, taking advantage of your work and your and but you know with you being totally different. So dilemma everywhere.
0: Yeah we have that we have guests who really can't do anything morally or ethically compromising. It's it's really hard to do, I think.
1: Um yeah okay. and and you have to compromise somehow. Uh, during your career and and in many cases you don't realize that you're actually compromising in my case it took years to to understand that i'm a part of that machine and i don't want that Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense okay number 13 what's your favorite word quote or sentence
1: i have a chinese word coming to my mind it's it's called Mama Huhu. It literally means uh, horse horse tiger tiger. I learned it back in Shanghai uh, around two thousand two, uh, when when I asked when I asked somebody whether how how's the job going, and he said Mama Huhu, okay. meaning it means. Uh, so so not really good Mm -hmm. but you know it kind of works but it's not really good so so and i've been i was inspired by that word so much um that i dedicated a typeface for it it's called la wai sung it was my first chinese typeface ever to emerge on the market and uh, it's hand-drawn sung-ti typeface and uh, the the word mama Hu Hu resonated so much in myself because I it was the way I felt speaking Chinese really badly and you know I had I had a notion of, why am I doing this? Why am I in China? It's not my comfort zone. I cannot be brilliant here. I can only be mama hoo hoo. I can never be an expert here. I will always be a rookie. Uh, you know, I will never learn Chinese on a native level. I will never be able to negotiate like a Chinese native, and uh, let alone design. I will never be able to be brilliant as a designer when i'm here so why am i doing this and the answer was i feel mama anywhere Mm -hmm. and uh, so that helped me to understand myself better because actually i was always taking decisions that didn't make sense so i want to become a typographer why do i go to china I I want to become a graphic designer. Why am I learning Chinese? Why am I learning Arabic? Uh, why am I doing all these things? And um, it was because um, it, it was that word coming out of my colleague's mouth that made it tick into place because I noticed that being imperfect and Not fitting to the surrounding um, made me start in the first place. And uh, it was um it was a situation I brought myself into again and again uh, in order to realize who I am better than you know, in in the comfort zone uh, of of your home or you know, obvious career choices and and things like that. Um, I kind of romanticize because <laughs> I don't think I was very conscious of that in the beginning. Only now I can say that. But this is has become at least to some degree my favorite word because it helped me to 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 cope with the situation better.
0: Great. Okay. Um 14. Do you have a least favorite word quote or sentence?
1: <laughs> um
0: by the way um in japan no i
1: have one i have one oh. and uh, it's a it's a sentence um i i, I frequently hear uh, I, I frequently heard myself i had to you know i was i was confronted with um many times mm-hmm. and then later when i was teaching found students confronted with it by the professors so it was the sentence you have to decide and it was always in the context of students or or in my case it was actually the same so you have a student and she or he is doing what she's supposed to do like in in our case graphic design projects typography illustration whatever so and when it came to to you know when when these projects were presented and uh, shared at the end of the semester for for the whole bunch of the professors um i don't know whether in in the us it's the same practice as here in germany so normally we have a small exhibition mm-hmm. and you know students you know present their stuff and uh, talk a bit about it and uh, professors asking questions and uh, finally, you know, having to decide on, 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 on a mark. Uh, So in this context, I found students telling, telling to the, to the others and the professors, you know, this is my, um, you know, here are the results of my graphic design work, but a part of that, I'm, I make music and uh, I have some examples of my music for you to hear if you want, or I made a video of, you know, for my music um, and would like to share it with you. And in, in, in these contexts, and and there are other, other examples apart from music, like students coming from another major, for instance, trying to combine, you know, the, the former major with the new major. And I found professors tell them you have to decide Mm. on what you want to do Mm. either the music or the graphic design and normally uh, it was me who like the damage was done I felt but uh, I always you know approached the students after the presentations after the sharing told them silently never decide don't do it because I think it's not something up to people in a higher position to say that to anybody. So uh, it, it resonated with me because I was confronted with that myself being, you know, in, in into music and into design and always having to justify why am I doing this? Why am I spending, you know, part of my time with doing something else? And, I would like to, to some degree, always encourage people to sort that out somewhere else and not in university.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and Not in the context of, you know, we're all, I, I felt pushed to to exclusively do and spend all the time of my life doing just one thing. But I couldn't change myself. So, and I was kind of blunt, just continuing. I can do it because I i don't know uh, i i found a way to answer back rudely but other people are not as blunt as me so they would be more sensitive and uh, probably stop um you know uh silencing that other side of themselves and i feel worried about that so the the idea of decision um deciding on on something you want to do um is sometimes productive and sometimes not so productive and that's why i tend you know not to like to hear that
0: that makes sense in my academic world we have this word called polymath which means having more than one deep specialty it's a little bit different yeah. renaissance man is more about deep specialties
1: um, exactly. Okay. Uh, to, to add a little thing, I've just noted in uh, Göttingen, where I was, uh, you know, uh, spending a day with the at the seminar of ancient Oriental studies. I thought, okay, they're the nerds. They they read cuneiform. They they learn Akkadian and Sumerian, and they know everything about this 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 ancient bubble, if I may call it, it like that, mm. and. Uh, a part of that I spoke to the students and they told me you know one told me she was you know also studying Japanese besides so they they all have their other words because they have to you, you cannot run into being an ancient oriental uh, scholar or a scholar in ancient oriental studies there will be n- almost no job options you have to do something else and that uh, kind of resonated with me mm-hmm. Uh, so, why keep on telling graphic designers to exclusively do that one thing? Mm-hmm. O- of course, we have more job options than people in ancient oriental studies, but it's still like a question um, I would like to ask all the time.
0: It's mm-hmm. a good one. Okay, number 15. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what word would you choose? A mess. Um, 16, what keeps you up at night?
1: Troubles with the job and Mm. when I have difficulty bringing together family issues and uh, job issues Mm. and finding myself having, you know, a bad conscience about what I've been doing in my job, having been away or unreliable. I don't like that. Mm. And as you know, when I run into these issues, I can't sleep. I find myself being awake at night, thinking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, during the pandemic, when I, when everything was so dislocated, when, when there was no sharing and no, no exchange uh, and, and I was so let leather- I, I was, I was so, alone in the family if I may say that I started to uh become become it was it like in 2020 like the the um the news on on Hong Kong 2019 were rather fresh and I I was like checking the news all the time what was the, like what what was going on in Hong Kong after the recent protests mm-hmm. and um feeling more and more worried about, like, not not just about my friends, such as Keith and, and all the others. Um, what, what are they doing? What how, How's their life? And what options do I have to exchange with them now? That kept me awake at night as well. And up to the point that I thought, will I ever be able to return to Hong Kong, which is a more egocentric perspective on on the actual problem, but it also played a role. Like, will I be always um, at home now, (laughs) caring for the family, cooking dishes? And, uh, you know, uh, will I be ever able to return to that, you know, to to take a plane to Hong Kong or whatever? And at the same time, Taiwan uh, started to become uh, more frequent on the press. Mm-hmm. and uh, I te- you know I, I I noticed I couldn't sleep because I was always thinking about what would this government decide what i I cannot I've, I was um incapable of changing anything. and I realized that very, very dramatically during these days. and uh, it also made me stay awake at night. And, uh, but these are gladly the only, the only, um, the only things I recall, you know, why I was awake at night.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) It's actually, I'm kind of happy probably.
0: You have a dream you're chasing.
1: I'm chasing all the time, uh, I I have I have a you know in in my research, I have a I had a dream and uh, it was to find out how multilingual media, for instance, could change the way we think about each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, like let's say foreign cultures and uh, you know cultural exchange. In 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 a linguistic sense, could that, as to whether that could improve um, our behavior to one another. In Germany, uh, we have such 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 a such a, a mass of people uh, not wanting to know about foreign countries or other languages and cultures, and uh, you know wanting, wanting everybody to speak just German with them. And, you know, it's things I, I, I don't really, um, appreciate. So I think we should, we should always be open. And I thought multilingual typography could play a role in, in that. So it's kind of my dream to, 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 to do more research on multilingual typography because I have that dream. But during my research, um, I found out that you know, multilingual the multilingual aspect in a medium doesn't necessarily mean it's it's truer than just in one language. So, uh, fake news can be spread multilingually. So, I I have found historic examples of that, such as the the inscription of Bistun in modern day Iran, in three languages, uh, telling the same lie three times so i think um i've become more sober and uh with with the continuing research um, so i am kind of killing my dream but more, more and more realizing the 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 potential it actually has and uh so it's with with many things i do or try to do i am actually killing the dreams for something real, which is much more important to me right now. So for instance, <clears throat> I'm trying to uh, record an album. Uh, I call it album because it, it feels like one. It's not like probably not a vinyl or something. Uh, it's 80, 80 minutes of music. And uh, it it's the music has been in my head partly for more than 20 years. And uh the album comprises of music I've written whenever I was in China, uh, whenever I didn't have an instrument with me uh, and so the music started, you know to 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 emerge from my head. And now I have to get it out of my head and record that stuff. It's a very difficult process. And um you know, to in order to materialize that dream, it actually is so um yeah that may be the wrong answer but uh they asked in an interview they asked dita meyer who's you know the singer of uh, swiss band yellow um like a bit bluntly how do you feel about you know all all the beautiful ideas you have for your projects and you know for your art and and expecting him to say probably yes it's cool to be an artist or whatever but what he did was uh he said of course it's um i feel great you know when i have a new idea but uh percent of your time you as he said you're in the wall do, do do american climbers say it the same um like you're in the wall means you're climbing and uh you know swiss mountains uh have steep walls and uh uh the the face of a mountain so he said 99 is, percent is you know the, the job of climbing so the idea is is just um, just a glimpse of what you're actually doing and i think he's right by that
0: i love that um 18 what inspires you
1: misunderstandings discussions Mm. uh, things i actually hate um the neighborhood i live in berlin is multicultural Mm. a lot of arabic speakers around and uh turkish speakers around so i've noticed like you know the turkish have been there before the arabic Mm. so um you know, you could say in, in in one of my neighborhood streets there was a research on uh, the various shops uh, in that street and um, which languages are spoken there apart from German and how old they are, and they noticed that the oldest store in the neighborhood is a Turkish one. So you could speak of a traditional store, you know, not being German, but Turkish. So it's become as far as that. So the Turkish community is well, very well rooted in the fabric of, of this uh, neighborhood. And the Arabic speakers, um, apparently, you know, they came later on. And I've noticed, for instance, you know, Turkish people complaining about the Arabic people. And you know, stating that they, they were rude and you know, things like that. And I had to listen to that as a German. While I while I hear other Germans, you know, um, being hostile to all of them, like not caring about are you Turkish or Arabic, you know, just they, they're foreigners. We we mm-hmm. don't like foreigners. So I I I I live in that in that conflict in a way although I can cope very well with everybody. I, I learned some Arabic, you know, and I try to try to take it as a chance to continue, you know, my Arabic studies. And, um, you know, my son was educated by Turkish, you know, people. And I, I'm actually, I'm very happy with that. But I see, but, but the conflict I perceive, you know, with others, and some, sometimes also including me, uh, it's, it's what actually inspires me to, to take it as a question uh, that we have to deal with, probably. And uh, in, oh, wow. in Germany, so many people have decided to just ignore the questions arising with intercultural uh, living together. And uh, you know, it's got a beautiful side, but it's also a lot of conflict involved. Of course, it's not easy. Nobody said it would be easy. Mm. But um, right now, I found many normal people. You know, not 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 necessarily well educated people, but let, let's let's call them normal people, average people, mm. being so tired of you know of just people not 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 exactly like them
0: Mm.
1: and uh i i I fear that this development could could become more and more popular Mm. so um i'm inspired by this multilingual issue not just because i think it's a great topographic topic but because of my deep worriedness in you know about german society Mm. and uh trying to you know contribute um to to contradict to to that popular image that intercultural potential has to many people like they take our jobs they they take our apartments and you know these are myths that are more and more um prominent in in the political debate in germany and uh i have to say i hate that so much mm. But, uh, I see it as a chance of speaking up in a way. So <laughs> I'm dreaming of speaking to the Bundestag, but of course, it will never emerge.
0: Nice. Last couple questions here. Any advice you'd like to share?
1: Normally, I don't have advice. Uh, I have questions. Mm-hmm. But uh, an advice I an, an advice I always give to my students is don't listen to the teachers so much
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's you know it's good it's good to you know to have teachers and you know to to, to exchange with people normally you know older than than you and it's like a transgenerational, uh, communication and uh, in in our case here at Berlin University of the Arts, we have need teachers, and uh, you know. But in in many cases, uh, in, in some cases, you you find them uh, top down a bit, and uh, you know. In some cases, I hear of professors, you know, not accepting other opinions. Uh, so much, and you know, trying to, you know, answering. Like, you either do it like I say, or it's simply not good. <laughs> and so normally, these students come to me and ask me, like, what do I think? And uh, in, in many cases, I just say, don't. It's it it's. Sometimes it's not possible to contradict directly, although I think we should uh, mm-hmm. contradict more. And, um, but what I can say for sure is in the end, it's up to you. And in the end, it's, it's you who will emerge from this situation and not the professor. He will stay where he is and you will come out of this and, uh, you will be in a different position. So why should you listen to him literally mm-hmm. and, um, follow your intuition in a way. And it's more inspiring to all of us. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. And number 20, the self-promotional question. How can our listeners keep tabs on you? How do we follow you? What should we look at?
1: Thanks for that. Uh, so I'm basically right now, I'm basically on Instagram, which is my most active place right now. Uh, my name is Roman Wilhelm as far as I know. So you can find me on Instagram under Roman.Wilhelm, like the former German emperor. And, uh, which is where I share my ideas and, uh, you know, pictures of typography and, um, and all stuff I'm into, um, apart from, you know, I'm renovating my homepage, which is totally old fashioned and out of date and yeah, got a got to do something about that. But I think Instagram will be the best place to to um to find out when my new web page uh will be ready. Mm-hmm. And uh I'm also on LinkedIn and and uh currently building up actually a, a known homepage for the for the typography lab at berlin university of the arts but that's going to take some time and yeah i I hope i hope to publish what we're doing um, in a better way so right now um i'm sticking to instagram great okay well
0: thank you so much roman you know it's so great to kind of extend this typography thread in this in this podcast you know calling out some of the key episodes, Eric Speakerman, um, Ray Larrabee was a good one and Keith Tam as well, and, and many others who, who kind of continue to populate the, uh, the show. Um, so glad you are here. Um, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so
1: much. Okay. Thank thank you very much.
0: If you like today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more Unique Ways.